Yes, the 2020 election was rigged. Quote, We're under a lot of pressure, and you put us there. Nothing's riding on this except uh, the First Amendment to the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. End quote. Ben Bradley, all the president's men. The break-in at the Democratic National Committee was small-time, ticky-tacky surveillance to get dirt on Nixon's opponents for his upcoming re-election bid. When the burglars were caught, but for the efforts of the Washington Post's Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, Nixon would have served his second term after his landslide win in 1972. But that was back when we had the kind of journalists who were not afraid to hold the powerful to account, how the mighty have fallen. Let me tell you what happened today. I was having lunch at the San Suu Kyi, and this White House guy, a good one, a pro, came up and asked, what is this Watergate compulsion with you guys? Compulsion? I and I sorry, this is not compulsion. I said, well, we think it's important, and he said, if it's Thanks. so goddamn important, who in the hell are Woodward and Bernstein? Well, now, what do you expect him to say from the White House? You're doing a great job? Yeah, I am. Why don't you ask him what he's really saying? He wants to take the, the, the story away from Woodstein and, and uh, give it to the National Desk. have some experienced guys sitting around who know the politicians who have the contact. We're aware of exactly what you, like you said it, sitting around. Dan, it's a dangerous story for this paper. What if your boys get it wrong? Then it's our ass, isn't it? Well, we all have to go out and work for a living. Yeah. <laughs> National gets eight columns, nine for foreign. Metro, 15. That's it, folks. How dangerous. Well, it's not just that we're using unnamed sources that bothers me, or that everything we print the White House denies, or that almost no other papers are reprinting our stuff. Look, there are over 2,000 reporters in this town. Are there five on Watergate? Where did the Washington Post suddenly get the monopoly on wisdom? Why would the Republicans do it? McGovern is self-destructive, just like Humphrey and Muskie, the bunch of them. I don't believe the story. The Watergate story wasn't easy, the post-season writers frowned on the rookie nobodies. By the end, it would turn out that the break-in wasn't the story at all. It was a loose strand of yarn that, when pulled, unraveled a complex system of corruption, a cancer inside the presidency. Nixon's battle to win the White House had been a brutal, take-no-prisoners campaign, as dirty as it gets. His arrogance was his downfall. He recorded himself committing a crime. Letting go of power is not easy, especially when you've spent so much time trying to acquire it as Nixon had. But he did the right thing and resigned. Watergate serves as a reminder of just how important the press used to be in their efforts to get the story. Now, as the story breaks of the Twitter files, all we see are partisan hacks so afraid of losing their status online or of admitting they were wrong, they have to do exactly the opposite of what Woodward and Bernstein did. They have to actively work to not just bury the story, 
but distract their followers long enough for the story to disappear. No one in the mainstream media can come close to the kind of courage it took to break the Watergate story. But the new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, found one such reporter in Matt Taibbi who released the Twitter files, which are only a taste of the unholy alliance between government, media, and social media. This alliance justified their unprecedented power grab because they believed they served a higher purpose, saving the country from the biggest threat since Hitler. But it was their monopolistic power that put our country in danger, eroded our freedom, and threatened our democracy. The Hunter Biden laptop story is the loose strand of yarn that, when pulled, will unravel a vast network of corruption at the highest levels of the administrative state. As the tweets rolled by one by one, the machine once again whirred to life, with the blue checks running interference to ensure the take was disseminated to all media. Naturally, those in the press obeyed the command. They've learned their lesson by now not to object or dissent or think for themselves. Their first take was that this was a nothing burger. It was just concerned Twitter employees making sure no hacked information was leaked. Their big discovery was that Trump had been the president in October of 2020, so it couldn't violate the First Amendment. With any other president, that might have been true, but the rules were different with Trump. He was at war with his own government, the swamp he was trying to drain. They didn't like that one bit, and they engaged in what has to be a slow-moving coup that included not just the FBI and the DOJ, but the major media platforms pushing their preferred narrative. And that was all before you even get to the Hunter Biden laptop story. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet thread by Constantine Kisson of the Trigonometry podcast. Quote, I'm genuinely a centrist. Yes, right now, the derangements of the left concern me more than those on the right. But I call it like I see it and don't want to be on a team. That said, the reaction of left-wing journalists to the Hunter Biden info drop is just disgusting. Those people have absolutely no interest in truth. They just care about winning. And don't what about me with the right is like that too, I know. But you're supposed to be the moral ones, the ones who care about transparency, government corruption, and corporate malfeasance. The entire sales pitch of the left is about being morally superior, and yet in service of winning, you are willing to turn a blind eye to obvious election interference, the collusion between big tech giants, the collusion between them and politicians, and biased censorship. You are not morally superior. You are corrupt cowards who shill for a team. I'm not even 40, and even I can remember a time when being a mainstream journalist meant something. It meant you were a respectable member of society with a voice and a role to play in the public, end quote. The Hunter Biden laptop story was meant to be an October surprise, standard operating procedure during an election. What we don't usually have is a coordinated effort to suppress it. For starters, we never had an entire media establishment aligned with the government to make that even possible. Trump changed all that. The media took a side, which meant pushing the Russian disinformation lie a no-brainer. Imagine taking the Access Hollywood tape, for instance, and trying to suppress that in the run-up to the election out of fear it might damage Trump or was Russian disinformation. How do you think that would have gone over? What was so terrifying about watching the 2020 election was just how coordinated the media and social media have become to push the talking points of the Democrats like mindless robots. Here is a mashup of those media voices compiled by Steve Bannon's War Room podcast. Biden's secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found 
on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right wing media. 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the care for five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is classic Trump. We have four days left and all of a sudden there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation at a Yes, yes, yes. I know you'd ask it. I have no response. Another smear campaign. It's a last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Despite the typical gaslighting by the media and blue checks on Twitter, the government had to have been involved in suppressing the laptop story. According to Miranda Devine, who broke the story in the New York Post, the one big missing piece, the smoking gun, is the FBI directive to deep-six the laptop story on Twitter, as they did on Facebook. Look, I I think we've seen uh, quite a bit that's useful. It's not really the smoking gun we'd hoped for. I feel that Elon Musk has held back some material. In particular, there's a tweet in which um, Matt Taibbi says, well, he hasn't seen any evidence that law enforcement specifically warned off Twitter from our story. But um, that's just not correct. I've seen a, a sworn affidavit from Yoel Roth, the former head of Twitter's Trust and Safety. He was meeting every week before the election with Uh, FBI and other intelligence officials, they warned specifically of what they called a hack and leak operation, a dump of Russian disinformation. And Yoel Roth says that in those meetings, he was told there was a, quote, rumour that it was about Hunter Biden. So they seeded that information with the social media giants, the FBI did, and that ensured that within hours of our story going live on October 14, 2020, three weeks before the election, it was censored. Now we're finding out a little bit more that there was discussion behind the scenes at Twitter, quite a, a, an a, you know, active argument about whether this was a First Amendment um, a problem. Uh, but we, the other interesting thing is how little Jack Dorsey was involved. Um, yeah. He was obviously just blindsided, it seems, by the people under him who were intent um, on censoring this. And I think we have to point the figure, you mentioned him already, Jim Baker, uh, Twitter's uh, number one lawyer, who says, um, he says their caution is warranted. Now, that's coming from your top lawyer. You're going to pay attention to it. He, of course, is former FBI general counsel, very much involved in the Russia collusion hoax. Michael Goodwin in the New York Post references Lee Fang's revelations about the FBI. Quote, Moreover, as Intercept reporter Lee Fang has detailed, and as a former Twitter official confirmed, the FBI held weekly meetings in Silicon Valley with tech officials, about policing disinformation. 
Of course, their definition of disinformation was so broad as to include virtually anything that made Joe Biden or the Democrats look bad, unquote. As the Twitter files unfolded, the Blue Check Army began to swarm Matt Taibbi in an attempt to mock, humiliate, and discredit him by any means necessary. Their big crime against Musk is that he's the richest man in the world. They crudely put this together to suggest Taibbi was some sort of PR shill for Musk. We're looking at tweets from Thor Benson. I'd like to apologize to everyone I told in 2014 that Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi were great journalists. Jesus Christ, what the hell. And Mehdi Hassan. Am I the only one who finds it ironic that Musk is doing fire tweets in response to these old internal Twitter discussions that he leaked about content moderation decisions while not showing us this week's internal discussions that he was involved with over Kanye and others? David Adkins. L-M-A-O, that's the best Musk and Twitter could come up with, that Twitter did the right thing to not let Trumpists pull another 2016 fraud using stolen election materials, but that they shouldn't have because it was technically stolen and not hacked. Clown show. But this is the new Twitter, and not the old Twitter. A new resistance has awakened. From David Sachs, lawyer fees, $100 million. Banker fees, $200 million. Purchase price, $400 billion. Value of email archive, priceless. Clay Travis, there is not one single article about Elon Musk or the Twitter email release last night on New York Times this morning. Elon Musk says, That is because the New York Times has become, for all intents and purposes, an unregistered lobbying firm for far-left politicians. Where is the lie? Colin Wright, if you're unsure who the bad guys are, Remember that Elon Musk's goal is to make one social media company politically neutral, while their goal is to take total control of every social media company and institution in order to fully control the narrative and our concept of reality. And Walter Kern writes, Sitting here in awe as the rationalizers rationalize, big media is silent, and Matt Taibbi rolls on like Patton with his unfolding Twitter file scoop gathering followers and retweets by the scores of thousands, and showing us how corporate political speech suppression really operates. Wow. The journalists getting the important stories aren't on the left anymore. The public has been largely convinced never to trust the right, that they're liars and QAnon fantasists. But they are also the ones digging up the story. Molly Hemingway's must-read book on the election, Miranda Devine's book on the Hunter Biden laptop story. The trick is not minding. The story here is how much power was concentrated on one side, which has become a greater threat to democracy than anything MAGA could have ever done. They spun themselves a fanciful tale that just kept getting bigger and more fantastical. They were isolating themselves inside their own feedback loop, and at some point their imaginings about Trump morphed into irrational, uncontrollable, full-blown hysteria. In March of 2020, McKay Coppins of The Atlantic wrote an article called The Billion Dollar Disinformation to Re-Elect the President. How new technologies and techniques pioneered by dictators will shape the 2020 election. Quote, The president's re-election campaign was then in the midst of a multi-million dollar ad blitz aimed at shaping Americans' understanding of the recently launched impeachment proceedings. 
thousands of micro-targeted ads had flooded the internet, portraying Trump as a heroic reformer cracking down on foreign corruption while Democrats plotted a coup. That this narrative bore little resemblance to reality seemed only to accelerate its spread. Right-wing websites amplified every claim. Pro-Trump forums teemed with conspiracy theories. An alternate information ecosystem was taking shape around the biggest news story in the country, and I wanted to see it from the inside, end quote. I read that column as a concerned Democrat, fearful of Trump and his billion-dollar disinformation campaign. Two years later, I see what a load of hogwash all of it was, reporting done from inside their fear bunker because they could not control the media narrative outside of it. What they didn't do then, what they still can't do, is humanize Trump supporters, see things from their side, and understand why Trump would have felt the need to go outside the system to get the word out. Taibbi said in his Monk debate that our news has to include everyone, not just one side. Quote, We're not supposed to thumb the scale. Our job is just to call things as we see them and leave the rest up to you. But we don't do that now. The story is no longer the boss. Instead, we sell a narrative in a dysfunctional new business model. End quote. The cabal that bragged about rigging the election in Time magazine admits all of this, but they paint themselves as the heroes, saving the country from the villain they invented, fighting a war they didn't understand, with Molly Ball as their PR rep doing zero journalism. Quote, Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. The untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation, says Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the Voter Protection Program, end quote. But all of it was based on false narratives driven by the media, backed up by social media users. Dissent was punished and compliance was demanded, leaving the MAGA voters, many of whom have no power, no wealth, and no cultural or political representation, disenfranchised. And when they protested, our government hunted them down and called them domestic terrorists. Does that sound like America to you? That is America at the hands of this massive power alliance. They rigged the election by making it an uneven playing field. They used the power they had to distort the truth, find votes, and bring in the win. They dragged Joe Biden, who didn't campaign at all, over the finish line. And even with all that power, all that control, they still just barely won. But that power they claimed didn't belong to them. It belonged to the American people. 
but it is power they keep and still use. Now Elon Musk is a problem for them. Follow the money. 2020 marked the moment when America slipped quietly into totalitarianism. It could not happen without big tech platforms that are now bigger and more powerful than any country, including ours. There is an inside and an outside. The Democrats captured most of the biggest platforms, taking them one by one like a game of Monopoly. They did this using influence, who wouldn't want to be part of the Obama Camelot. They did this with pressure from the FBI, who wanted to be seen as a domestic terrorist. And they did it with money. Lots and lots of money. The Democrats now represent the elite ruling class. They keep their status and wealth by using marginalized groups and woke virtue signaling as their shields. If they brand themselves as down with the newfound zealotry on the left, they get to keep their stuff. Since when has the uh, paragon of investigative journalism allowed lawyers to determine the news content on 60 Minutes? It's an alternate version. So what if we have an alternate version? And I don't think her being cautious is so damned unreasonable. So now, if you will excuse me, gentlemen, Mr. Rather's been complaining about his chair again. Before you go, I discovered this. SEC filing, the sale of CBS Corporation to Westinghouse Corporation. What? Yeah, I heard rumors. Not a rumor, it's a sale. If Tish can unload CBS for $81 a share to Westinghouse and then is suddenly threatened with a multi-billion dollar lawsuit from Brown and Williamson, that could screw up the sale, could it not? And what are you implying? I'm not implying, I'm quoting. Uh, More vested interests. Persons who will profit from this merger. Ms. Helen Caparelli, general counsel of CBS News, 3.9 million. Mr. Eric Cluster, president of CBS News, 1.4 1.4 million. Are you suggesting that she and Eric are influenced by money? No, no, of course they're not influenced by money. They work for free. And you are a volunteer executive producer. The CBS does not do that. And you're questioning our journalistic integrity. No, I'm questioning your hearing. You hear reasonable and tortious interference. I hear potential Brown and Williamson lawsuit jeopardizing the sale of CBS to Westinghouse. I hear shut the segment down, cut Wigand loose, obey orders, and fuck off. That's what I hear. You're exaggerating. I am? You pay me to go get guys like Wigand, to draw him out, to get him to trust us, to get him to go on television. I do. I deliver him. He sits, he talks. He violates his own fucking confidentiality agreement. And he's only the key witness in the biggest public health reform issue, maybe the biggest, most expensive corporate malfeasance case in U.S. history. And Jeffrey Wigand, who's out on the limb, does he go on television and tell the truth? Yes. Is it newsworthy? Yes. Are we going to air it? Of course not. Why? Because he's not telling the truth. No, because he is telling the truth. That's why we're not going to air it. And the more truth he tells, the worse it gets. You are a fanatic, an anarchist, you know that? If we can't have a whole show, then I want half a show rather than no show. But oh no, not you. You won't be satisfied unless you're putting the company at risk. What are you? Are you a businessman or are you a newsman? 
because that happens to be what Mike and I and some other people around here do for a living. Lowell. Put the corporation at risk? Give me a fucking break. Lowell. These people are putting our whole reason for doing what we do on the line. Lowell. What? I'm with Donald. Michael Mann's The Insider shows how even the most respected news organizations can become corrupt if enough money is on the line. The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, and many of the blue checks on Twitter are all looking out for their businesses and their own platforms. They don't just have to please their subscribers and their audience, but they have to push their headlines into the social media stream to get those clicks and likes. Without that support from Twitter, or if Twitter becomes angry with them, their careers could be over in a day. The overlords of big tech see themselves as godlike figures with enormous superpowers. Like Mark Zuckerberg's data bank of almost every American citizen, Google can shape search results and affix context labels to videos. And Twitter was slowly setting the standard of our new language, punishing anyone who stepped out of line, not just by banning them from the platform, but by hunting them down as thought criminals wherever they might be and then publicly humiliating them and destroying their lives. Twitter has been the new arena for the new Puritans to hurl daily sacrifices into the churn with very little pushback from anyone, at least until Elon Musk came along. There's a new sheriff in town. We have to fight for our country. We need people in D.C. to break up the monopolies as Teddy Roosevelt did once upon a time. If we don't, we'll never have a fair election again. We're living through a new gilded age, a fourth turning. It will require the citizenry in a people-run government to rise up and take our country back. As Roosevelt once said, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The worst thing you can do is nothing. Thanks for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self be true. <laughs>